Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. I'm standing here with two fine young people, brother and sister. We have Isaac and Kayla. They're from Tulare, California, up here visiting uh, Provo, Utah, right? And uh, when you go to church in Utah, you go to Provo Baptist with Pastor Neil, correct? How do you like Pastor Neil? He's a great preacher, Kayla says, and he is. He's a great preacher. He's very, in fact, Isaac before said he was funny, and I said, we're not talking about Pastor Neil's looks. We are talking about what you think of him, and then he, he knew we were joking because Pastor Neil, Provo Baptist, a great church. Is there anything you'd like to say, Kayla, to the live audience? No. no. Kayla says no. Isaac. Hi. Isaac says hi. Now, Isaac, I said before, hey, Kayla, do you have a, a boy in your life? Oh, no, no, no. Isaac, you have one? Oh, yeah. I got a girl in my life. So I said you could score some points here. You want to say her name? No. <laughs> Stay away from her. I'm telling you. All right. Thanks for being on the show, you guys. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this ministry. And uh, may he be with you and us tonight. We got rid of shout outs a long time ago, but I met a young man who's a drummer and he's, I don't know how old he is, but he recognized me out in public. And he and his mom, River, and his mom, Sonny, they watched the show. So I told River I would do a, a shout out to him. And he's a great kid with a great future in the Lord, River, in the Lord. For the past six years, we have gathered at a local park with believers. Uh, many of you have attended this once a year event. And, but this year, we want to pack a spiritual punch to it. Seriously, uh, obviously we're not really depending on the arm of the flesh to put this together. And so we're inviting you now to come to our Burning Heart event September 1st, uh, at Saturday at Murray Park Amphitheater from 3 to 9 p.m. We're going to have all the standard things there, but much more. What am I talking about? Well, first we're going to have, of course, box lunches from Subway, which are always excellent. And uh, you can bring your own food too. There'll be a treat booths, there'll be product booths, uh, Sandra Tana, Doris Hansen, Bishop Earl, Lifeway Christian Bookstores, Bill McKeever, Marv Cowan, Timothy Oliver, Chip Thompson, Rob Savolka, Aaron S. Uh, they all may be wandering around because I just invited them. And uh, uh, everybody is invited to come. We invite all the churches to come out. We would love the pastors to come out with their with their flock, and I'll tell you why. Besides having a battle for the best worship band in Utah, and we're going to get flyers out to all the churches with information for those worship bands that want to compete, uh, we're also going to do a, uh, uh, a open, never-denominational communion service where the pastors will take communion out, and uh, hopefully, as, as believers here in this state, we can come together and share in communion and then go to the water's edge for our annual open water baptisms. There'll be dunk houses. Hopefully, we can put the pastors in. And uh, there will be uh, uh, things for the kids. That is Saturday, September 1st, Burning Heart 2012, 7th Annual. Tell your pastor, tell your worship team, and bring a friend. Four quick notes of importante information. First of all, every Sunday, Lord willing, we meet at the University of Utah, 10 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. We call the 10 a.m. milk. We're going through the book of Matthew. We call the p.m. 2.30 meat. We're going through verse by verse through Romans. 
Everyone is welcome. Go to www.campus.com for more information. Also on Sundays, AM820 replays Heart of the Matter from 1 to 2. AM820 is an excellent radio station. We love it. Third, Friday nights, 8 p.m. right here on TV20. Bishop Earl, former Latter-day Saint Bishop, now a full-blown, born-again Christian. He hosts a show called The X-Files. You want to be interviewed, email Bishop Earl at earl at www.xmormonfiles.tv and uh, just go to xmormonfiles.tv. You can click on the connection and talk to Bishop Earl uh, through the internet about being on the program. We need you. We need good people to share their stories. The, the, the program has been very effective in reaching people, so do it. And last but not least, our summer sales spectacular going through the end of August. Uh, you get a number of products. You get a CD, 17 verses of the scripture uh, put to music. You get a Mormon president, a DVD documentary, mockumentary, very good. You get If Then, uh, If My King Was of This World, Then My Servants Would Fight. I Was a Born Again Mormon. And <coughs> <coughs> Where Mormonism Meets Biblical Christianity Face to Face, a hardback book. All of that. Plus, plus, if you <laughs> order before August 31st, you get one of these for free. These are worth a billion dollars. One of these for free included with any order of any size. Go to www.hotm.tv and you can check out how to get that stuff. Also, our books are available at utlm.org. They're available at Lifeway Christian Bookstore and, um, and also at uh, 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 Family Christian Bookstores around the nation. Listen, I'm sure some of you witnessed this segment of an interview with Barbara Walters who was interviewing an LDS leader but uh, you got to see this thing, so let's run it. Is it a no-go? Uh, Theodoro is telling me that it is a no-go. Is it a no-go throughout the rest of the show? We're going to figure it out. It's really interesting. you got to see it. Okay. I believe what I'm about to share is perhaps, to me, the single most important tool that I can equip you with as a believer in this state. And... Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 defines real love as long-suffering, kind, it's not envious, doesn't vault itself, it's not puffed up, it doesn't behave badly, it seeks not our own, is not easily provoked, it thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but in truth. It says this love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and never fails. Have you ever had people pull the love card on you? I get the love card pulled on me every single week. People telling you, you are unloving because you are criticizing my faith. You are questioning it. You are even getting kind of argumentative toward it. Maybe you've even used some pejorative terms when you're talking about another person's religion. And they say, read your Bible. It says you should be loving. They apply 1 Corinthians 13 to the conversation. Have you ever wondered how to understand how 1 Corinthians 13's description of love applies knowing that Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul, Peter, called people vipers, sons of Satan, um, hypocrites, liars, and, and, and those are pejorative terms. And so how do we balance that out? How does a Christian earnestly contend for the faith when the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc., etc.? In light of all the accusations I receive over the years of being unloving, I have to tell you, that I have had a personal, ongoing, arduous, ideological battle trying to understand the scriptural conundrum. 
So let me present what I believe is a sound biblical understanding of one of the most abused four-letter words in the English language, love. The first premise of Christian love is the absolute obligation believers have to love other believers in the body. This is the first Corinthians way. No exceptions, none. Believers must love other believers according to the first Corinthians way. That's the first application of love. Remember, this chapter on love was written to believers at Corinth, not to the world at large. So the mandate to love, applying all of Paul's descriptions of agape love, is a Christian duty between brothers and sisters in the Lord. All right? Listen, the only way for the demands of 1 Corinthians 13, the only way that they can work is in the confines of believers who are willing to recognize them as absolute rules of, engage, of engagement within the body. See, you can... 1 Corinthians 13 works when other people believe in 1 Corinthians 13 and engage with each other based on 1 Corinthians 13. The second application is the command for Christian to love neighbor as ourself. And who is our neighbor? According to Jesus, anyone who's in need, and he gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and, and so here is where Christian love ought to extend out to any wanting or needy person, whether they're a believer or not. But listen, the first Corinthians description of love is not entirely uh, applicable in this situation. There are times when working with the suffering lost world that long suffering, as described in 1 Corinthians 13, would be a mistake. And there are times when thinking no evil, as 1 Corinthians 13 describes true love is, would be irresponsible and, and foolish to not think evil when you're working with unbelievers. The third application of love is loving our enemies, as the Lord demands in Matthew 5.4. But listen, excuse me, 5.44. But listen to how the Lord describes this application of love. He says, but I say unto you... Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Notice how the Lord describes the enemies he's talking about here. They are our personal enemies, people who attack and hate us personally. Callers who will call and say, your hair looks funny, Sean. I have the command to love those people. Because they are my enemies and I am to return good for evil in that circumstance. When I am personally attacked, I am to love, okay? This leads us up to the fourth application of love, which helps us understand the harshness of the words that are used by John the Baptist and the Lord and Peter and Paul toward people. And that's enemies of the cross and enemies of truth. The fourth application is how believers extend love to a world that is antagonistic toward his truth. Uh, they are participants in principalities of darkness. And those who seek to denounce Christ or introduce a counterfeit gospel. How do you relate to them at love? We notice that Jesus extended love to his disciples, like 1 Corinthians. He loved and served his neighbor, anyone, Gentile or Jew. He loved his enemies when he was crucified. He said, forgive them. They spit on him. They mocked him. Forgive them. They don't know what they do. But when it came to enemies of truth, 
He administered love through a method that is not included um, directly through 1 Corinthians 13. Listen now. The Pharisees and scribes of the world, when working with them, the most loving thing that he could do was earnestly contend for the faith. Not roll over. Not, in the face of their lies, bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, or endure all things, as 1 Corinthians 13 points out. We must do this with brothers and sisters. Those attributes exist in the body, but uh, they are not with non-believers who seek to promote a false gospel. Again, the most loving thing believers can do in the face of false prophets and when people promote another gospel is to do and say what is, whatever is legally possible to get them to understand they are under a strong delusion. This is why Jesus used phrases like, your father is the devil. You are a viper. This is why, because it helped crack their strong delusion. Only when, listen, when we realize how real love is biblically applied, are we going to then be able to understand chapters like 1 Corinthians 13 and the fact that the Lord himself used pejorative terms toward uh, the Pharisees and scribes who were trying to suggest a dark philosophy in the face of this world. And with that, how about a moment from the word? I don't even know what it does. We have nothing going on. Everybody has gone to the ganj in the back room. They've lost their religion, and this is what we get, me. All right, we left off last week in John chapter 10 with a discussion about God, capital G, versus God's lowercase g. Tonight we arrive at chapter 11, which is just a beautiful chapter. I wish I could read it all, but because of time, I cannot. But John chapter 11 begins with, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. The story goes on to say that Mary and Martha sent for Jesus with word of their brother being sick. But when the Lord heard that Lazarus was sick, he remained where he was for two more days. He didn't even turn around. They just stayed where they were. And then finally, while he was on his way back, Jesus informed the disciples, Lazarus is dead. Okay? By the time they arrived, Lazarus had been laid in the tomb, had laid in the tomb for four straight days, proving he was totally dead according to the law. At their arrival, Martha came to Jesus and said, in effect, Lord, if you had come when we called you, if you had gotten here, you would have saved his life. And uh, Jesus said to her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believeth thou this. And as most of you are aware, Jesus went to the tomb. He told them to remove the stone. They said, Lord, he stinketh by this time. He's rotting. He stinketh. And he said, do it anyway. And they did. And we read, and when he had thus spoken, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus come forth, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and about his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now, many people believe this story is a story to show the power of Christ to raise the dead. True. Uh, they, many believe it is a, a picture of the coming resurrection. I would say that's what Martha thought it was. 
But I would suggest that this act also pointed at something else. Like Lazarus, every human being is dead in sin. Uh, living so uh, long among the dead that we stink in the nostrils of God. And so Jesus says to Martha, who thought it was, he was going to be raised at the resurrection, said, Martha, he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. This is a picture for what brings us out of our stinking sinful state. Believing on him. He that believes on me shall live again, he says. So Latter-day Saints believe that in order to be raised to new life, like Lazarus, they have to do all kinds of things. Baptism by a Mormon, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, paying tithes, obeying a phony Sabbath day, going to the temple to receive specific rites in the temple, etc., etc. But ask yourselves, what did Lazarus do to rise from his stinking, rotting position to life, new life? Nothing. He laid there. There was no repentance. There was no repentance in the picture. Uh, that's going to bother some of you. I can explain it if you want. There was no worthiness required. Um, he was dead. But Jesus came and brought him forth to new life by his very word. I would strongly suggest that this is a picture of Jesus calling to all men for regenerated life through and by his power, by his work, and not ours. Come to him, you stinking sinners. Come to him. He will call you forth and raise you from that vile place. That's his job. That's what he came and gave his life for. And with that, let's have a prayer. Father, we need you. Our staff needs you. Volunteers, we pray for our audience, wherever they may be. And for Tom, who's going to come on here in a minute, we pray for our callers and what we're about to say in Jesus' holy name, amen. Every now and again, people come to me and they say, hey, hey, what was Joseph Smith's motivation, Sean? What do you think? And uh, did he start out meaning well and they get caught up in the fame and money and power and women? Uh, I'm not really certain anyone can explain the motives of Joseph Smith, but I think the facts would suggest the following. First, he was brought up and taught on biblical principles by his uh, religiously charged family and parents uh, and environment. Second, he believed from his grandfather and father that he was going to restore the true church back to the earth. And third, he was a con man from a very young age, largely because of his father's influence. So he had ambitions and an ability to trick and manipulate people from a very young age. So in light of this, I'm of the opinion he created the Book of Mormon essentially to become a new Christian book and essentially to kind of replace the Bible and for it to become the focal point rather than the one all the Christians were using and fighting with each other about. And he used the Bible to produce this work. As a result, there's only a handful of passages in the Book of Mormonian that conflict with the Bible, while the remaining doctrine simply echoes tradi traditional 19th century uh, theology. Few people realize this, but this is how the Book of Mormon is used by Mormon missionaries to convince people. They're not astute in the Bible. The Mormon missionaries come, they give them the Book of Mormon, and it's like bait to a fish. And so they open it up and they're reading biblical passages and they're reading biblical ideas. And so they think, wow, it sounds really good. And they say, a 14-year-old boy, which wasn't true, came up with that. It's a miracle. Book must be true. Church must be true. I'll join. The hook is set. The fish is in there. And then they fry you in the pan and they offer you up for the rest of your life to a false god. So to top it all off, Joseph Book of Mormon actually opposes 
even contradicts many LDS teachings and doctrines today. So tonight we are going to go through some of those and point them out to you. Now, remember, in terms of doctrine, the Book of Mormon was primarily a product that reflects 19th century Christianity and that the Book of Mormon teaches doctrines that are counter to the LDS teachings today. Remember this? Here we go. Number one, Mormonism today teaches that God was once a man. Prior to his death, Mormon founder Joseph Smith said, We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute the idea and take away the veil so that you may see. However, in his Book of Mormon, which he started off with, it preaches Christian doctrine. It says in Moroni 7.22, God knows all things from everlasting to everlasting. Moroni 8.18, God is unchangeable from eternity to eternity. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and in him there is no variableness that a man would have, Mormon 9.9. And in 3 Nephi 24.6, it says, I am the Lord, I change not. These are biblical teachings. This came straight from the Bible, this idea, right into the Book of Mormon. The second thing, Mormon leaders and their manual have taught directly and repeatedly that Jesus was not conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, but it was through a relationship with God the Father who is in a body of flesh and bone. That eliminates the, the biblical idea of virgin birth. LDS apostle Bruce R. McConkie said, Quote, Jesus was begotten by his father as literally as he was conceived by his mother. Doctrine, uh, doctrinal New Testament commentary. But the Book of Mormon teaches the biblical position. It says, Mary shall be overshadowed and conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. That's in Alma 7.10, a traditional biblical teaching. Third, in one of Joseph Smith's later revelations, he says in Doctrine and Covenants 130, verse 3, that the idea that the father uh, and son dwell in a man's heart is, quote, an old sectarian notion. Mormons do not believe that Jesus dwells in your heart, even though the Bible teaches that he does. But Alma 3436 says, The Lord has said he dwelleth not in unholy temples, but in the heart of the righteous does he dwell. So another biblical tenet preached in the Book of Mormon, not believed by Mormons today, and actually refuted by LDS leaders and teachers in their manuals and, and writings. Mormonism teaches that there are many gods with a capital G. LDS apostle Boyd K. Packer said in a recent past, anyone who believes and teaches of God the Father and accepts the divinity of Christ and of the Holy Ghost teaches a plurality of gods. That's the LDS stance. If you believe in God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost and that their deity, you believe in a plurality of gods. You're a polytheist. That's a plurality of gods. But in the Book of Mormon, uh, it refutes Packer's statement. Listen to this. Book of Mormon, Alma 11 says, is there more than one God? And he answered, no. In uh, 3 Nephi 11, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are one. In, in Moroni, uh, Mormon 7.7, 7, the Father and unto the Son and unto the Holy Ghost, which are one God. One God. Not a plurality, Boydie. Boydie K. Not a plurality. Go back to your little house there, your 1.3 million, and go research plurality of God, you pagan. But I'm sorry, it's not a plurality. There's one God, Boyd, Apostle Boyd. One God. 
Okay? And then in Alma 11.44, it says, Christ the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, which is one eternal God. Okay? So again, the Mormon, a Book of Mormon lays it out for people to hook them, but along comes Boydy and changes things around in their mind. Mormonism today would never, ever, ever pray to Jesus. Well, listen to Joseph's work of fiction aimed at creating a new Christian Bible. It says in 3 Nephi, And behold, they begin to pray, and they did pray unto Jesus, calling him their Lord and their God. This is straight from the pulpits of a Christian. Church, this is what Joseph Smith saw as a young man. This is what he included in his Book of Mormon. Mormons today make fun of the Christian idea of worshiping and glorifying God forever. They will often say to Christians, well, what are you going to do for eternity? Sit on a cloud and play a harp? I mean, they make fun of us because we don't know what's going to happen in the eternities while they think they do. But listen to the Christian-sounding idea Joseph put in the Book of Mormon. It says, the self-same end has he, God, created them, men, listen, that they should glorify him forever. That's in Jacob 2.21. This is a line straight from the Christian community in which Joseph, to glorify God forever, that's from Christian mouths, my friends. The Latter-day Saints reject the idea of hell, even to the point that on this Barbara Walters clip we're going to show you, we have this LDS guy saying, everybody's going to go to heaven, Barbara. Everybody, Barbara Walter says, am I going to go to heaven? He says, yeah, of course you're going to go to heaven. Because the Mormons today, they reject the idea of hell. But uh, LDS 10th President Joseph Fielding Smith said, quote, we do not believe that hell is a place where the wicked are being burned forever. And Apostle uh, John A. Widstow wrote, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there is no hell. Okay, but the Book of Mormon clearly teaches the Christian doctrine, and it says, quote, if the church is built upon the works of men, they are hewn down and cast into the fire from whence there is no return. The Mormons say that's not true. There's no eternal hell. There's no fire. That's not what that says. And in classic Christian speech, 2 Nephi, Jesus, for he has redeemed my soul from hell. And 2 Nephi 1.19, God delivered the saints from hell. Here's some more to endless misery to inherit the kingdom of the devil. Endless misery is a concept of eternal hell. Into hell that hath no end, 1 Nephi 14.3. Listen to this. Oh, the greatness of the mercy of God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has delivered his saints from that awful monster, the devil, and that lake of fire and brimstone and endless torment. Endless torment, my friends. That's in the Book of Mormon. Fire and brimstone. Why? Because Joseph Smith copied it from the Christian tenets. And later, when he got a following, he went berserk and started talking about no hell and no uh, literal God. This rhetoric is straight out of 19th century revivals. One, a couple more. And listen to this. Listen to how this sounds. And now, my beloved brethren, can ye be puffed up in pride in your hearts, setting your hearts upon the vain things of the world? They, these are they who shall be hewn down and cast into the fire. Listen to this one. Talking about a woman in the Book of Mormon. She stood upon her feet and cried with a loud voice, Oh, blessed Jesus, who has saved me from an awful hell. Oh, blessed God, have mercy on this people. If I were to read some of these passages and you didn't know the Bible, you would think these passages came straight from the Bible. 
It's a total counterfeit. Mormonism today teaches the lie that people will have a chance to hear the gospel after this life. In 2004 Manual of the Mormon Church, page 52, it reads, In the spirit world, the gospel is preached to those who did not obey the gospel or have had the opportunity to hear it while on earth, end quote. But the Book of Mormon, speaking of all who die, says, They are righteous. They who are righteous shall be righteous still. They who are filthy, filthy still. And Alma 12, uh, 27 plainly states the biblical stance saying, There is a time appointed unto men that they must die, and after death must come judgment. Book of Mormon teaches biblical principles, but uh, doesn't give it credit. Mormonism today teaches that Adam's disobedience was a good thing, that it, it's a praiseworthy thing, and that it was good that he was disobedient to God's commandment. LDS President Joseph Fielding Smith, quoted in the Ensign Magazine in 2006, said, So don't let us, brethren and sisters, complain about Adam and wish he hadn't done something that he did. I want to thank him! You want to thank him for all the suffering and pain. Really good there, old prophet Smith. Anyway, uh, the Book of Mormon teaches the biblical truth, making it clear that, that God does not give dual commandments. He doesn't give a commandment so that people don't know how to obey it or can't obey it. The Book of Mormon literally says, The Lord gives no commandment unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he had commanded them. It's plain and simple, but the Mormon teaching on the fall changes that. And Mormonism today, because of Joseph Smith's later ideas, it teaches the exaltation of man. I'm not going to cover that. Mormonism's, uh, t Mormon teaches today that we're not to worship the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, I vividly remember Bruce R. McConkie saying in the Marriott Center at Brigham Young University, I was there, quote, We worship the Father and Him only and no one else. We do not worship the Son. We do not worship the Holy Ghost. But again, the Book of Mormon presents the Christian view. Listen, I bet you didn't know that it said this in the Book of Mormon. They did fall down at the feet of Jesus and worshiped Him. That's in the Book of Mormon. Speaking of Jesus, 2 Nephi 25, 29 says, Wherefore you must bow down before him, Jesus, and worship him with your whole soul. Mormons don't teach this. They do not worship Jesus today. They don't believe that. That's not even in their vernacular. Okay, and of course, polygamy uh, justified to the point that Brigham Young said, The only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy, end quote. But the Book of Mormon renounces polygamy. It says in it, Behold, David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines, which thing was abominable, thus saith the Lord. And yet Mormonism continues to practice it secretly today. Next week we're going to continue on with more of this, but we're going to talk about soteriology, which is saved by grace, being uh, not able to save yourself, and the grace of Christ coming in and saving you in the Book of Mormon. Hey, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. Love LDS callers, first-time callers, please, and callers who are in control of their facilities, please call. Um, while the operators are clearing your calls, let me take a minute and invite you to partner with us. What does that mean? First and foremost, always means need it more than you can believe your prayers. Please pray for me. Pray, pray for our staff. Pray, 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 uh, pray with our, for our volunteers, and uh, we really need it. Second, share the program and ministry with others. Uh, get on your social media uh, vehicles and tell them about Heart of the Matter. And finally, if you are in the position, if you are in the position, 
And if you uh, are so led by the Lord, financial contributions are beneficial uh, uh, as we're a 501c3 and we live off those uh, to keep the ministry going. But again, uh, nobody on a, a limited fixed income, no widow's might, no family struggling, no individuals who can't make ends meet. That is not what God has ever wanted in Scripture. So uh, just consider that. All right, you know, while we're waiting for callers to go through, uh, two things. Let's show that Barbara Walters clip, and then we're going to have Tom come on and tell us about something that he has observed as a Utah. Do not accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God. If you are a Jew, for example, or a Muslim, what then? Well, I think it's not as difficult as it seems. When we get on the other side after we've died, and God the Father says, this is my Son, Jesus Christ, we believe every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ. So yes, all mankind can make it into heaven because of that. Can oh, I absolutely. Go to heaven? Oh, yeah. absolutely. I'm sure you'll make it to heaven. I don't have any <laughs> doubt about that. I, I could use a recommendation. Thank I'll you. I'll give you my recommendation. <laughs> Wonderful. He's going to give Barbara his recommendation. Everybody's going to heaven. Of course, Barbara. This is all a result of Joseph Smith's father and grandfather being universalists. That, mean they that means they believed everybody goes to heaven. And it was, it was articulated there. Now, all the other stuff that you hear, you heard it right there, and the church has not refuted that. They believe it. And the problem with it is that it's so inviting. It is so inviting. It is so much more inviting than people who get on TV like me and say, there is a hell. And if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to it. I can tell you that. If you don't believe in him and receive him, you are going to hell. And no one likes to hear that anymore. And so these Mormons come along and these wolves in sheep's clothing and they say, oh, Barbara, you're going to heaven. I'll give you my endorsement. Of course you are. It, they're, just, they're just liars. They're false prophets. And it's in the face of what Jesus did on the cross. So uh, don't appreciate it at all. Got a great uh, interview here really uh, quickly. This is my good friend, Tom. And uh, Tom here has... Um, has a story he's just going to share. He's going to give you a little background information as the operators are clearing the calls. 801-973-TV20, 801-973-TV20. Tom, just kind of tell the audience what we talked about earlier. Um, well, um, yeah, I grew up in Utah. Uh, been married 28 years, have four boys, uh, all in their 20s. And um, about two years ago, our youngest boy uh, let us know that he, he had fallen in love with a girl, beautiful young girl that he met at work, and she was, she was Mormon. We, we figured that was probably going to happen. Almost everybody that he dated was, was LDS. And in, where he went to school, everybody was LDS. And anyway, he would bring her up to our house, along with his other friends that were LDS. And we made a point of never offending them. Uh, didn't, didn't, we, we've had, we know about the church, and we have strong views. We're Christian, been born again since about 2004. And our our sons are Christian, or we're Christian, knew all about it. We're, we're not worried about it at all, him dating an uh, LDS girl. And then I'd say he got blindsided about eight months ago when he announced that he was getting baptized in the LDS church, totally out of the blue, and uh, then getting married, uh, going to have a temple wedding, and uh, threw us into shock. Uh, it was a shocking realization, just where did this come from? Um, tried to figure out how to deal with it, how we should approach it, should we go to the wedding. Uh, I prayed about it. Uh, the Lord said, go to the wedding, um, honor the occasion. We love him, um, but, uh, but pretty frightened. I mean, families are forever. We consider families are forever. 
as believers, we're all going to be a family together forever in heaven. Uh, this is a different family forever situation that he's moved into, and now we're not so sure we're all going to be together forever. <laughs> so how did, he, how did it happen? You were being invited. You were, you, were, you were trying to do the loving thing when the LDS friends and girlfriends coming by and not bringing up anything. How did he get recruited? Well, yeah, that's what we didn't know. We, we went to the wedding, which happened just a few weeks ago, and the bishop who was marrying them said he had been, he mentioned as he's, as he's giving his uh, benediction or whatever it is, that he had been counseling them for over a year. So what we didn't know was all this time, their, her family, the bishop, had been taking him aside and working on him, working on him, working on him, while we were making a point not to, to say anything disrespectful about the Mormon church. I mean, she knew where we, that we weren't into it, but I mean, we went out of our way to not, you know, contradict her the way she was raised. They didn't have any compunction about that. Wow. Um, and we, we were, you know, at the wedding when we realized this had been going on for years. So it was like blindsided by the church. Wow. The kid snatchers come in and there goes our kid. There goes our family. Yeah. 28 years we've been married. Tight family. Any, anything that anybody knows about us is how tight we are. The, my sons as brothers, tight. And then He's just changed. He's got this whole new family. We don't see him. We went to the wedding. There's 300 people there we've never seen in our life. You know, who are these people? And uh, so anyway, just kind of, a, you've talked about this before, but as far as dating, you know, when you have children that are dating an LDS uh, in this culture, you, you know, you, you go along with it. You're just not expecting that. And, but I'd say beware. You maybe want to, you, you want to take it seriously because, I mean, totally blindsided by this, you know. So what would you, rec having had this experience, what would you recommend? And what would you do if you had a younger son and, and suddenly some, some, some cutie LDS girls start showing up on their arm now? Would you do something different? Yeah, I think now we, I wouldn't have been quite as respectful, actually, as I was. Because they're, they're, her family, their family, the bishop, they had no respect. I never got a phone call, didn't know this was going on. You know, I would have thought man to man, he would have come to me and said, hey, your son is showing interest in the church. You know, we understand you're not, uh, you know, members right now. I mean, we're, we are members. We've been, we haven't been excommunicated yet. Probably will now. But, um, yeah, I would say don't, you know, you've got to take an active role in, uh, in, in what they're doing because they, they are actively fellowshipping. We were not, we, you know, we showed, uh, you know, hands off and respect for that. And, you know, this is what we've got. And, we're, you know, we pray for him, have people praying for him that he comes back. But, pray uh, for Jackson. <laughs> yep. All right, my brother. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Thanks so much. That takes guts to get up here. People aren't used to it. He did a great job articulating a very, very uh, heartfelt thing. One of his own sons raised up, 2004 family becomes Christian, and all the while under, undermining their efforts, we have an LDS bishop not telling this young man the truth. You know, if I was able, or Tom was able to sit with his son Jackson in those bishop's talks and, and have him deliver those things, we could have countered every single thing that he said, which is not uh, biblical or not Christian. And we would have said, Jackson, he is not telling you the truth about this. And we could call him on it and show him the resources, but he didn't even know he was blindsided because that's how they work. I do not hate Mormons. I hate Mormonism. I hate their methods. I do this out of love for Mormons. I'm trying to call them out and to, to snap them out of the delusion. We have Brenda and Roy. Uh, actually, we had Brenda. No longer. We're going to go to Connie and Roy. Connie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Yes, um, well, I've got a question. Um, I, um, when I was 13, I, uh, I was going to join the LDS church. And uh, my, my parents had already given me permission to join the Mormon church. And um, so I was going to Mutual every week. And it was coming around Mother's Day. 
when we put on a, we were practicing to put on a, um, a program for the moms. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we were all told, you know, we should wear a nice white dress and because we were going to sing and, and what have you. Anyway, um, my dad and mom bought me a real pretty white dress and stuff. And then my dad bought me a, a real pretty gold chain with a really small cross on, uh, with a really small cross with a little diamond in the middle. And so when I went in and we were getting ready to go into, uh, go on stage, the bishop looked at me and he came up to me and tore the cross off of my neck and told me that under no circumstances should I wear that in his ward. Yeah, well, that, that's the heart of them toward the cross. They don't realize that the cross is, is mentioned so many times in the New Testament about being the very thing uh, upon which we look to. Of course, that we look to Christ, but it's emblematic. It's, it's metonymical. It's the cross. It's his suffering that reconciled us to the Father. And the LDS do not embrace that in the fullness of which it's taught in the Bible. So I'm sorry to hear about that story. And I, the LDS who raise children and have children go to the LDS functions like Jackson, uh, it's unbelievable what you have to face. And uh, just pray for each other and unite with each other. And I'm not saying that, you know, our burning heart thing is going to be some big, but come and have communion with other believers. Let's gather together and let's share communion. Let's watch people be baptized and, 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 and join together in our faith to say we are not part of this LDS thing. You know, I'm not seeking to cause revolution. I'm not trying to fight them in the streets. I'm just saying let's stand for biblical truth. Going to get tougher and tougher. Let's go to Kathy in Washington. Kathy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello. You're on the air. Oh, th okay, thank you. Um, let me mute this. Anyway, I just had a couple of comments. Yes. I live in southern Utah and St. George area, Washington, and really close to Hilldale and really close to Colorado City. Yeah. <clears throat> I see these, you know, a polygamist all over. They dress very identifyingly. A, a good number of them do. The FLDS. Yeah. They, they all dress pretty much the same in the same women hairdo and stuff. And I don't think they're in hiding at all. I see them everywhere. And you know, you know that they're polygamist. Yeah. You said that they have to hide. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about uh, proper LDS, Salt Lake City LDS, not the FLDS. Yeah, but I don't think any LDS hide anymore. Oh, the LDS hides so much today in, in Salt Lake City, it's unreal. They still practice polygamy spiritually, but yet in the public, in the media, they denounce it. They say they're Christian. And and you know, you know, being uh, I wasn't born here, but being raised here, all my friends have. The majority have been LDS, and I've never had a problem with them. Never, ever have once have they tried to what? tell me I'm going to hell or say, you well, know. Of course not. Uh, Why would they tell you you're going to hell? They don't believe in hell. I know. Well, they, they want you to join the club. They so weren't going to give me a recommendation like they did Barbara Walters. They, they, I think, you know, when you talked about Barbara Walters and that guy, did yeah. you hear him? Yeah. You know, that he's going to give her, Barbara Walters, a recommendation. Yeah. I think they were just joking around. I you don't do. think it, it was serious. You I do. really just don't. Just joking I, around there on national TV. That, I took it as, 
It, it did. Kind of joke. Did you? It is. You know what? Serious. I think you're a promoter of something. I think that you're a promoter of I don't know what it is. I I don't think. Oh my god. I, I don't think. I don't think. You, I'm a sick. Well, I don't think. Grandma you, I, don't, I don't care if you're a grandma or not. Grandmas can be raise. evil too. Okay. Listen. I don't think you understand biblical Christianity. You're, you're taking a very sing-song, they're nice neighbors, leave them alone, or whatever. They're good, they're just joking. But you don't understand. Have, you've never been LDS, I was. And you don't understand the mind screw that they do upon people. You don't understand what they do to families. You don't understand the bondage that they heap upon people's backs. I, you know that. Have you ever paid 10% of your uh, net income to a church so that you can have salvation by going into their temple? Have you ever been told you must do that or you're not going to be able to live with your family forever? Do you understand when you downplay what they do, so, they're just so nice neighbors, do you understand what that does to people who have sacrificed and come out and said, I can't do it? You see, and this this, this irritates I me. That especially with like gay people and stuff like that. I don't have a problem. With I know you don't. I could have told you that before, and neither do I. But I have a problem with homosexuality. But see, you don't because you know there is no you know, no one ever told you to go to. We're gonna end the call because uh, you got to understand, you guys. We are in a warfare, and the stances that we take, it's not so that we can fight, and it's not so that we can be uh, accusatory. But if we, if we go against what this book says, we are going against what God has told us. And we are saying we know better. And where we get the chutzpah to do this, I don't know where it comes from. So when we get calls like that, I know that she and her humanist heart means well. But she does not get what they are capable of doing. And right now we are in the process of putting all kinds of Latter-day Saints in political offices whatever offices those may be. And, it, you know, for a Christian to vote for a Mormon to be a mayor or to be a this or to be a that is like putting the keys to the sheepfold in the wolves' hands. That's exactly what it is. But no one will say that. These rotten, big, mega churches, pastors, won't say it because they are so fearful that they're going to split the vote or something. You know, when are we going to make church church? When are we going to use it to teach Jesus as the Savior and let all the rest of this crud go to where it belongs? You see, but all we've done is we've saddled up, sidled up right there with the LDS, fighting, you know. All... I'm done. Karen, having a hard time accepting hell as a Christian. Karen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Karen? Yes? You're on the air. Hi. Hi. I'm on the air. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I was born a Mormon, actually from a very good family, uh, went for 50 years, even though I started having questions and doubts. Uh, since that time, I have increased my doubts to the point where I can't believe Mormonism anymore. I uh, stopped going about 10 years ago. I've been attending a Christian church for at least five years, but I'm having this horrible problem with understanding how people who were born before Jesus Christ, say 4,000 years before, or people uh, from Asia or, or Muslims or wherever who've never heard, even heard the name or the concept of Jesus, how are they going to go to hell the minute they die? How are they going to go to what? How are they going to go to hell the minute they die? Oh, who says this? Her, well, 
uh, I understood that's what Christians were saying. That's, that inc that's incorrect, Karen. you accept Karen. Jesus Christ as your Savior, yeah. or the moment you die, you go to hell. Okay, let me explain a couple things to you, okay? Yes. Nowhere does it say that in Scripture. It says if you confess Jesus Christ with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. That's what it says. And so we know that that is a fact. And anybody who believes in their heart and, and confesses with their mouth will be saved. What happens to those people who haven't confessed with their mouth, haven't believed in their heart that Jesus, Yeshua, uh, is the, the Christ? We believe in hell, but we believe in a grace. And we believe that God is a God of mercy and justice. So God has, has given signs in this universe. The African who's out there running around, he looks up and he says in his language, uh, there must be something bigger. I want to know you. Look at the sky. His heart re receives what God is sending out. Is he going to hell? I would say I would, I would not believe that for a second. Little children who are born without uh, knowing Christ, do they go to hell? No, the grace of God isn't going to send them to hell. That is old sectarian doctrine. Look it. Jesus is God. He came down in the flesh. Those people who resonate to their being a God, through their mind, through their heart, through what they receive, they will be accountable for what they have. But God does not take people, Asians, as you said, or anybody who hasn't heard the name Jesus or 4,000 years before him and keep them in hell. Whoever teaches that is insane, absolutely insane. God is sovereign. He is just, he is merciful, he is loving. If someone deserves hell, they will go there. If someone deserves heaven, they will go there. And the deserving is all going to be relative to their heart. Okay? I'm so glad to hear your perspective. Thanks a million. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. You know, sometimes we have people saying, oh, they're in hell. I would never say that about anybody. We are not the judge. And sometimes people say, oh, they're in heaven. Don't say that about me. I believe, me personally, I'll tell you I'm going to heaven. I'll tell you that I've been born again. And I'll tell you that I have a great expectation and hope to go exactly where I know I'm going. But don't say he went to heaven because you don't know. You don't know that anybody is. You just know what the scripture says. So we don't, we don't assign Someone to heaven, someone to hell. I think it's wrong. I say we leave it in the Lord's hand. That's trusting in his sovereignty. That's him and he who reads the hearts. Remember Jesus said the church is going to be full of wheat and tares. Don't go to pulling the, weed, the weeds out. Don't pull the tares out. Let them grow up together, he said. In the end, it will be sorted out by him. They'll put, the kingdom of heaven is like a net cast in the sea. All kinds of creatures come up. Some good, some bad. And the sorting will be done at the end by the angels. So in terms of judging people, heaven, hell, heaven, hell, forget it. Trust God that he will handle every, everything the way he has promised, and he will. We're going to Terry in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Terry, you're in Heart of the Matter. Yes, uh, Sean. That's me. Uh, this is Terry. I'm calling uh, with a uh, humorous story I got. All right. And uh, let me tell you what happened. Me and my mother last week, we went to the rodeo, and... Um, we were, used to be LDS years ago, and I'm kind of like yourself. I was born in the church, and we got out of the church. And uh, I was at the rodeo watching the rodeo, and uh, there was a square area that was roped off over to the right of us about 20 feet. And then it went to the big projection TV at the Maverick there. And, there, and I looked up there, and it was President Monson. And I says, oh, I guess, you know, President of the Church is here. And so they had 
the cameras go down on him, and I swear, Sean, the people in that audience jumped up like king of the world <laughs> there. It was unbelievable, like the, like the American flag, or, or, or you just wouldn't believe it. Man. And I'm going, this is just a guy. Yeah. I isn't, was, isn't that amazing, Terry? Huh? Is, isn't that amazing? Excuse me? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, another thing about it, he, I, I'm looking down there, me and my mother, everybody stood up. I, look, I swear there's even people that weren't even LDS for standing up. And I'm going, this is just a guy. And uh, my mother didn't stand because she's 77. So I said, I'm just going to stay seated with her right here. And everybody was looking around. And I um, looked down at this guy because we're pretty close. And I told myself, this man is the prophet of seven billion people. Wow. You know, on the earth. world, huh? I'm going, there's no way. Oh. You know what? I uh, really appreciate your insight and call. It lets people reflect on who they're worshiping and who they're looking at. Uh, really appreciate it, Terry. Uh huh. Thanks, my friend. Bye bye. I think we're having a hard time hearing. Let me tell you something LDS apostles walk into a Mormon stake, people stand. Can you imagine what Peter would say? People standing. Paul would say people stand when they walk by. Dude, sit back down. That's what they would say. The Lord Jesus, stand for him. Don't get you. What, what is this stuff? Let me tell you something. We have a girl who comes to the women's Bible study on Monday night at, 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 at uh, Denny's. And, and she's, in a, uh, she's a very smart girl. She's got a master's. And she's in a, a wheelchair. She has cerebral palsy, I think. And she moves it with this. She used to work for the church. And she tells the story about being in the cafeteria. Honest to goodness, she tells the story and she sees Apostle Iring. Heavenly Iring. And he's there getting his food. And she is so excited. She's new. And so she moves her, her wheelchair over to see him. And she goes up and she says, Hi, Apostle Iring, or whatever. And he, she says, he gives her the most dirty look you can imagine. Just like, how dare you, great unwashed looking, talking to me without invitation. And he walked away without a word to her. Oh, no, he, she said he did say, oh, oh, oh. And then someone ran up to her and said, don't you ever talk to them first. They, if they want to talk, they will speak to you. This is man worship. This is man, this, this, this poor woman, she's in this chair, confined to it because of the fall. And she goes up to talk to this apostle, truly believing in him, and he gives her that treatment. That's what, the, the, that's what these guys are about, you guys. It is what they're about. They're about the bottom line. Everything with the bottom line. Let's go to uh, Hernan and Roy. Hernan, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going, Sean? Going well. How you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, I just wanted to mention, you know, I was talking, I mean, I was listening to your show, of course, like I do every week, and born again and loving the freedom. And, um... I was listening to Brother Steve got up on there telling me about how they get into your family. Next thing you know, you're blindsided. Yeah. Well, that happened to me, and um, my father passed on. He married a LDS lady, and he was LDS. He became LDS toward the end of his life. You know, they were taking really good care of him. Oh, yeah. But uh, long story short, me and my brother got just the rifle shells from his veteran's funeral. You know, uh, they got in, even my nephews and nieces who are LDS, they, they went behind our back, and they just usurped everything, got everything. Wow. Memorabilia, and they gave me a disc with some of the pictures and 
you just know, like Mountain Meadows. Answers, huh? They took all their wagons and teams and all their property. Same thing goes on today. And you know, I don't care about the money or anything like that. But you know what? All the memorabilia, uh, you know, pictures. Um, he was in the military, so a lot of military Marine Corps memorabilia just gone, just disappeared, and they just flat out told me, well, there's nothing. So, wow. you know, I just had to deal with it, and, um, of course, we didn't have any say of any of the funeral arrangements or anything like that. I mean, it was cold-hearted, and now I wish I had spoken up. I wish I had got up and just said, the hell with this crap, I'm, you know, I'm going to follow the Lord, and we're going to do what's right here. Thanks, Hernan. Really appreciate your comments. Really, thanks hey, for watching. On. God bless. Bye-bye. <laughs> My wife just went through the same thing at the funeral of her mother, the same thing. Her heart is torn every morning when we talk about how to handle an attack that she received from the pulpit, from the stake president, about the funeral and, and how they promoted and, and used uh, the Mormon church as uh, a way to, to reach all the other people who were there. And, you know, uh, we live in a tough time, and the popular and the wealthy and the powerful are just going to get more powerful and more popular. Uh, hang in there. Join us next week as we continue to examine this stuff. Remember, September 1st, Murray Park Amphitheater, Burning Heart 2012. Best worship band in 2012 contest. Uh, we are going to get information out to you, so don't worry. You can go to www.hotm.tv for that information. Lots of food, products for sale, dunk take, inflatables for kids, and we'll wrap things up with an open, never-denominational communion service and then an uh, open-water baptism. Saturday, September 1st, 3 to 9 p.m., Murray uh, Park Amphitheater. See you next week here in Heart of the Matter.